Well, hello, everyone. This is Caitlin. And this is Jessica. And this is Calling All Spirits. How are you doing today, Jess? <laughs> um, I need to start with coffee <laughs> because <laughs> I I do not have good luck when it comes to incense or things. <laughs> I have these new Palo Santo cones, and I'm like, this will be amazing. I'll light one before we get started. I literally smoked out my entire house. Um, and so, yeah, if I can breathe and actually do this podcast now, we'll be good. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm still confident. The irony is that I couldn't get my incense to light. <laughs> <laughs> you could have come and had some of mine. Like We should have split the difference. Well, and I have this cute little cauldron that I put the cone in. I'm like, I don't know. I was like, well, if I put the lid on top, it'll like snuff out the little fire. Nope. It just kept smoking as I ran downstairs, got more tea, got everything I needed. So when I came back and took off the lid, it was like a, you saw it, it was like a plume of smoke when I'm there. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So, but I guess we're, we're, I don't know. We should have at least some good vibes now. We have enough smoke in the air. <laughs> but I mean, it feels on par with what we're talking about today. <laughs> I mean, it's endless chaos between... <laughs> Between one house and another house, like, it's just, it's just all the housing chaos. That's my official takeaway. <laughs> well, then how are you this evening? <laughs> how, how is it going? I am in chaos mode because we just found out we have to move. Because our landlord is a jerk who went back on his word again and raised the rent way more than he said he would. Oh so now we're like, cool, buy rent, buy rent. Austin markets suck. And I've never bought a house before, so Aww. I, uh... We went and looked at a bunch of houses on uh, Sunday, and it was it was delightful, but also <laughs> stressful, because, like, how do you know you're making a good decision? Like, I don't know how to do this. This is like picking a doctor or a dentist. The consequences are dire if you do it wrong. Right, right. No, I, I totally... It's it's terrifying. It's ter- I remember when we bought this house, which I love, but it was, like, right after I bought it, I was like, we have made the biggest mistake ever. What are we doing? Why? Like, yeah, it's because it's, it's scary. Y'all, y'all will be fine. And um, if you have any questions about house inspections or anything, I have someone to hook you up with <laughs> that knows a little bit about what to look for. I might, I might get some more input on that one because, uh-huh. like, as it is, I especially since I we don't, I don't like new builds. I like older houses for right. obvious reasons. <laughs> but also for less obvious reasons, like when a house is first built. Sorry, like random segue for our listeners. <laughs> uh, when a house is first built. The settling and the shifting of the house on its foundations, there's no accounting for what's going to go wrong. Right. Sometimes it's just cracks. Sometimes it's electrical. Sometimes it's plumbing. Right. With old houses, they have settled and you can look for specific things. Mm-hmm. You know to look to see if the ro- the roof is at, got a straight line. You know to look for if the foundation has cracks. You know to look for mold issues. Like, I know how to look at an old house. I know nothing about a new house because there's no predicting it. Right. So the older houses I'm more comfortable with, but... We've got one where it's, it's built in the 60s. It's super cute. But like <laughs> the house is pure and beam and the driveway and garage are on a slab. And so like it's sinking faster on one side. We're like, OK, now that we know that that's a problem. How fast a problem is this? <laughs> how long do we this have? House is like, this house is like 70 years old. Like how, what, what kind of timeline are we working on? Right, here? right. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. No. I'm incredibly grateful that our real estate agent is also a friend oh, um, and a coworker, actually, because this is his side side hustle because mm-hmm. no one in Austin can have just one job <laughs> but he was dumb enough to talk to me five days a week for three years before this and then set himself up to be my real estate agent so like 
Um, you signed yourself up for it. I'm gonna ask you all the questions, and they may or may not come out coherently. <laughs> no, that's good. He'll you'll you'll find something. I I would like. I think it's an opportunity. Maybe it's like the tower card. Like, boom! It's time to move, or it's time to finally buy. And so here's what we're headed to now. Exactly. I mean. The fact that rent keeps going up and up and yeah. up and up, buying does make a lot of sense. So, like, yeah, the tower card. I understand now why you don't like the tower card. <laughs> I hate that card. <laughs> I, and I know, and even when I get it from my clients, and, and I, I, I do, I stand by there are no bad cards in that deck. No, but that yeah. doesn't mean we have to like every card, because if you don't like change, that tower card is not your friend. <laughs> I do. And I That's don't the like problem. Change. I love change, but not when it catches me off guard and it comes with a really, really big price tag. Yeah, no, it it stinks. But for people like in the tower situations in my life and in other people's lives that I know, I know it always works out in the end. And it's always like, dang, I'm really glad that happened. But that doesn't mean it doesn't stink when you're going through it <laughs> like exactly doesn't make it fun. honestly now that i think about it i might ask you to draw some cards for me in the after show <gasps> yeah i would do it in a heartbeat absolutely i got my decks right here oh, I we can get some spirit feedback as well as some rational third dimension this reality feedback that i've been getting from all of my friends who own houses and have recently bought houses because yeah. everyone has experience and unlike when i ask for advice and people wait until after the problem happens to tell me yeah how i should have fixed my car this one they're actually giving me the information beforehand so it's helpful this time right right no i'd be happy to pull some cards for you we can do that in the after show yay well, speaking of house chaos. I was about to say <laughs> we're leading into our topic. <laughs> exactly. I am so excited because we are talking about Sarah Winchester and the Winchester Mystery House. I mean, we have to cover haunted houses on this show. Oh, absolutely. Especially with the rumors of spiritualism that like mm -hmm. make that a tourist destination. Of course, we had to cover the Winchester <laughs> House. Like, are you kidding me? Oh, I know. And the fact that we're having craziness in our house at the moment it's like this only seems appropriate and yep house chaos from get to go it's on topic it's suitable it's uh timely that's the word timely house chaos across the board why did we pick the winchester house for this week's episode because it would be fitting and the spirits think it's funny yes and we're gonna cover her early life because i think everybody jumps i mean which granted it's like a suit the one of the most interesting parts but everybody jumps to her life in california so I like that we're going to start more at the beginning because there are so many things in her early life that you can see how they influence her oh, later absolutely. life. And I wanted to point out, and I think you, I, I know you were reading, um, I believe this book too, amongst others, but um, most of at least my information for sure is going to come from this amazing book. It's called Captive of the Labyrinth, Sarah L. Winchester, Heiress to the Rifle Fortune. And it's by Mary Jo Ignafo. Hopefully I'm pronouncing that correctly. She has done so much thorough research. It's it's really incredible and eye-opening. So um, as always, we give credit where credit is due. And a lot of my almost, well, most of the information I'm sharing tonight, I relied so heavily on that book. So it is worth picking up and reading. Agreed. It was a very good book. And I was incredibly grateful to realize there was not only a copy at my local library, but there was an audio recording on Audible so I could listen to it the easy way. Yes. Okay. Because I, I did the Audible version. Is it a huge book? 
because in Audible the chapters were like an hour long. It it's a it's a like so the books the books that are in Audible, if they're like 10, 13 hour long mm-hmm. books, they're like twice as thick as no one can see this, but it's like two, three times as thick as this. Uh-huh. So not terrible. But like, um, you know, the really thick sci-fi novels, right. those will be like 45 hours long. Oh, okay. I, I couldn't tell, maybe because I just listened to an audiobook for my book club, that the chapters are super quick and short, and these are like an hour. So I, I, sh- I could have looked up the page count. I was being lazy, but I'm like, how long is this book? <laughs> like, how could... Not that it, it wasn't, wasn't terrible. Oh, yeah. okay. But I mean, it, it kept me going. I was still, I was fascinated by it, but. Um, oh, yeah. But the. So what I feel like almost as we're about to get into this beginning portion, I almost feel like I'm literally just skimming the surface because she goes into so much detail and such thorough research. So I'm like, I started off with like 17 pages of notes and I'm like, Jessica, that's ridiculous. You guys, we cannot do this. <laughs> this is so. not a five hour episode. We can't do it. Exactly. And you're just. I mean, the- we could, but I don't think anyone would deal with us. No, no. And especially. When my section doesn't even get to the cool house in California, I'm, I don't think people are going to listen to five hours of that. So um, with that said, for a lot more information, read the book. I, are, are you ready to get into this? I'm kind of ready to jump on in. I am super ready to jump on in. I haven't been to this house in years and I was excited to look into it some more and I'm happy to be here. Yay. Okay. Well, here we go. Well. Sarah Winchester was born Sarah Lockwood Pardee in 1839 in the charming town of New Haven, Connecticut, to parents Sarah Burns and Leonard Pardee. And while her given name was Sarah, she was named after her mom and an older sister who had passed away as an infant. Her family and her really close friends actually called her Sally her entire life. And she even signed her personal letters by this name. So that's really cool. For the podcast, I'm still going to refer to her as Sarah because I feel like that's how we all know her, but her friends yeah. knew her as Sally. Now, Sarah's ancestors had lived in the New Haven area since they arrived in the 1600s, beginning with her fourth great-grandfather, George Pardee. And more importantly to our story, Sarah had come from a long line of carpenters and woodworkers, including her father, Leonard Pardee. Um, he was a skilled woodworker known as a joiner. And I look this up. So a joiner is a craftsman that joined wood to create specialty pieces in a workshop that would later be installed by carpenters because there's a there's a big difference apparently between a joiner and a carpenter. So they're kind of doing that fine detail work. And it's believed that generations of the party joiners greatly influenced Sarah's lifelong appreciation of carpentry and fine woodworking. Fancy that. I know. I feel like ever after like all these pieces should be like dun 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 like, like there's something coming like remember that um, we need like a what is not foreboding music but um foreshadowing music yes yes exactly now sarah's mother sarah burns um came from a small fishing village in milford connecticut and her family made their living collecting oysters and farming and honestly doing anything they could to make ends meet they um struggled quite a bit Now, Leonard and Sarah were both profoundly religious, and they actually met at one of the many revivals sweeping across this area and the nation at this time, which we know all about those revivals. So this this relationship seems a whole lot tamer than the Woodhulls. I thought about the (laughs) Woodhulls because it's a revival, and they're me, and I'm like, 
They met at a revival. They didn't conceive their child at a revival. There's a solid <laughs> distinction there. There is, but I just thought about the revival. I'm like, they are no Woodhull. Thank goodness. <laughs> like, oh, thank yeah. Goodness. Thank all that is holy for her, the sake of <laughs> everyone. Yikes. We're good with just one Woodhull family, please, and thank you. Yes, exactly. So, no, much, much calmer, much nicer couple. And they were married in 1829 and became uh, began having children shortly after. Now, when Sarah was born in 1839, the Party family was at this time really struggling financially due to a really troubled economy of the 1830s, and they were often on the brink of poverty during her childhood. So Sarah's father had to take a job managing the city bathing house where he collected tolls, attended to the patrons, and the family kind of lived in a residence attached out back. And the bathhouse job paid the bills, but it certainly wasn't Leonard's passion. So on the side, he kept a woodworking business going. And in 1847, he was able to finally leave the bathhouse and establish a full-time carpentry business. And he set up shop producing small wood and metal parts for local factories and hardware for carriages. And it was a financial success. So in the coming, I know, I mean, it's a really happy story. So in the coming years, Leonard Party would become one of the city's most skilled craftsmen. And he established Leonard Party and Company, a large mill and wood shop. So they've gone from this brink of poverty to financial success, which is really awesome. Now, with this financial success, the Party family moved into a large home in a very exclusive neighborhood in New Haven next to his mill. So their house was literally right next door to the mill. And so as a child, Sarah grew up hearing workers And watching the skilled craftsmen in her father's workshop from her windows, she saw them producing the popular architectural details for homes of the time, such as spindles and moldings and wainscotings. And the coming and going of wood craftsmen was part of her daily life, which we will see again later in her story. (laughs) Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) Now... Also, Leonard was finally able now to provide for his children, especially their education, and Sarah developed as an excellent all-around student. She learned four languages. She demonstrated proficiency in musical composition, math, and science, and it was said she was even like a really independent child of the time. She was also raised in a progressive household, and prominent abolitionists and free thinkers of the day often visited the family on their home on Court Street. Now, along with these guests, the party family also welcomed new neighbors to the street and her future husband, William Winchester. Oh, I don't feel It's like the opposite of foreboding. It's the, <laughs> it's the like, we need like the, the chimes or the harp music to like yes. trigger the happy, you know, until it goes south. Yeah, well, let's, we'll focus on the happy for a little bit. So a little bit more about the Winchester family. So the Winchester family had also arrived to America in the 1600s. And William Wirt Winchester, her future husband, he was born in 1837 as the only son of Oliver and Jane Winchester. William's father, Oliver Winchester, had a very difficult childhood, defined by severe poverty, abandonment. Um, But like Sarah's father, Leonard, he also had an enterprising spirit and really good business sense. So it started off when Oliver and his brother opened up a clothing store known as Winchester and Company that sold suits, hats, shirts, and accessories, which is interesting because I think when, I, when anybody thinks about Winchester, they automatically go to the gun. 
But they didn't they didn't start in that business. They started in the shirt business. The seed money for the guns yeah. came from <laughs> clothing. Exactly. Now, Oliver Winchester soon noticed like the poor design of the shirts of the time. And he's like, we can do better than this. So he began experimenting with variations and the traditional shoulder seam after noticing the fit was off in men's shirts. And he it's really complicated, but basically he redesigned a cut, the cut of the shirt to have a curved seam rather than a straight one. And that simple change would forever alter the Winchester's life. The new shirt design was extremely popular, and he soon began selling out and receiving accolades, and he even caught the attention of um, John Davies in New York, who would become a partner, and he received a patent for his new shirt design. And in 1848, the Winchester and Davies shirt manufactory opened. So they are in business. In the coming years, the factory was a huge success, and by 1856, he was putting out over 1,000 shirts a day with 300 employees on the premises, but then he had a few thousand women working on the shirts from their homes. So, I know. And by 1860, it said they were producing 480,000 shirts a year, and the company's net worth was $1 million. And what you said with their newfound success, the Winchester family... First of all, they moved to the fluent Court Street and became neighbors with the Pardee family. <laughs> but then they're going to get into the gun business. But before we get there, William Winchester, of course he knew Sarah, but and they had kind of grown up together, but he had to kind of finish his schooling. And once his livelihood was firmly established, I mean, he was posed to take over one of New England's most profitable clothing mills. He's doing good. Mm -hmm. Then William was ready for marriage. And we know by the beginning of the 1860s, Sarah and William were keeping company. Mm. Um, but they, they already knew each other. And on September 30th, 1862, Sarah married William Winchester. So William was 25. Sarah was 23, which I actually thought was a little bit later in years for that time period. I, I mean, today that would be like young. But back then I'm like, okay. They, they waited a little bit. Um, Sarah was described as a very petite. She was 4'9", actually. She was so teeny. She was teeny. And she was said to be a very attractive woman um, with dark hair and curls, a light complexion, brown eyes. And she was even nicknamed the Belle of New Haven. How is that for a title and a nickname? Like, I'm <laughs> no. known as the Belle of New Haven. So adorable. Like, I just think she's so cute. Absolutely and sweet. <laughs> And William was lean, and at 5'9", like, he's, like, basically a foot taller than his wife. <laughs> um, and he actually had blue eyes with reddish hair and, oh, my gosh, these impressive heavy mutton chop whiskers. You have to look up a picture if you have never seen these. Like, they're huge. I can't remember what he looks like. I got to look oh that up real gosh. quick. Hang on a second. I mean, I know for the time that was very in- but looking at it from a modern perspective, like, if he shaved him off, I think he'd be pretty handsome. I mean, I probably would have thought he was cute. Holy shamoli. Yeah, they look overgrown. Yeah. They do. They look. I'm not a fan. But he's still, like, you can tell he's handsome. Like, yeah. He's, yeah, the way the way mutton chops are, like, in the more modern Western movies, they're always very closely trimmed mm -hmm. compared to the just, like, frazzly whiskers that he's got. Because they go down, like, past his shoulders. Yeah. And that's not usually what you think of with mutton chops. No, he's committed. Like, he is he is sticking with these things. Ain't it to win uh, it? 
Yeah, he is. And, I mean, they got married during the Civil War, so the wedding, even though it could have been because they had the money, it was not a lavish one at all. It was very simple with just a few family members in attendance, which makes sense. And following their marriage, the newlyweds, they moved into William's house with his parents, his sisters, and assorted cousins. So it was... It was a full household they were moving into. So Sounds not a lot like of privacy it. for the newlyweds. <laughs> and they had been planning to build, the Winchesters had been planning to build this kind of palatial mansion, which will come and we'll talk about it. But it makes sense du- during the war and shortages and supplies. It was like, that's not happening right now. So it was put on hold. Now, the first years of marriage were marked by life in the Civil War. And although William was the right age to enlist, he actually doesn't fight in the war. And we don't know the exact causes, but we have some pretty good assumptions why. One, he suffered from consumption for most of his life, so he wasn't in good health. Um, to me, that may be one of the probably the main reasons. He was an only son, um, which you could get out of fighting for a while because of that. And at that time, if you could afford it, you could pay $300 and someone would take your place. And they certainly had the money yep. to do that. So. A couple of reasons. I kind of, I don't know. My gut says it was probably the consumption. I don't know that for a fact, but that would make sense because he wasn't really in good health. Yeah, no, like, especially with those flare-ups when you have, yeah, when you have TB, that hits hard. Mm-hmm. Like, there's nothing mm-hmm. like coughing up blood to prove why you shouldn't be sent into the battles. <laughs> Battle. Like, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Now, while all this is kind of going on in the background... The uh, Mr. Oliver Winchester starts dabbling in the gun business. Well, you, he, we've already established that he's got the, you know, we can make this better attitude. Yes, exactly. So first he was investing into the Volcanic Repeating Arms Company, formerly owned by um, Horace Smith and Daniel Wesson of Smith and Wesson. More familiar names. <laughs> exactly. But that company fell into bankruptcy. And so Winchester was able to step in and procure the machinery, the backlogs, the pat- patents, everything. And he then formed the New Haven Arms Company. And he hired a man named B. Taylor Henry, who was able to tr- transform the repeating revolver to create the infamous repeating rifle. And this is going to play a big role in Sarah's future life. This rifle could fire 15 shots in just 10 seconds, and it was called the Henry after the designer and became insanely popular. Um, Now, for his role in the war effort, Oliver Winchester believed the repeating rifle could give an edge to the Union Army. So he encouraged the Union Army, purchase this gun. You can get off 15 shots in 10 seconds. And they said no. They considered it experimental, and instead they stuck with their single-shot muskets. Of the time. Which blows my mind when I read that. Like, you have this gun that can fire 15 shots. Like, it can well, just The fact firing. that they said no because it's experimental. I'm like, what does the military fund now? I'm sorry, what? I How know. many innovations throughout history have been due to wartime <laughs> innovation? Like, could you maybe? Like, no. Come on. I know. I'm like, dude, he's offering this up to you. And you're like, no. We're good. We're going to stick testing it or like in a small, like, you know, order <laughs> exactly. 50 and use them in one battle and see how it works. Like, no, just straight up. No, yeah. like whoever looked over that proposal had an attitude problem that day. Well, they did. And I do know because I know there's going to be some historians. My husband pointed out there were some soldiers that bought their own. Like it wasn't that they weren't used, but they were not used. Like it was like people brought their own or bought their own. It wasn't like the army 
purchased all these guns for their soldiers. So, yes, technically there were some used in the war, but so but some people still, are like, still dumb. Oh, exactly, exactly. That blew my mind. But not to be defeated, Oliver's like, okay, then I'm going to take this thing to Europe. And he started going to Europe like, I'm going to sell it over there if the Americans don't want it. Uh, but while he's away... So his part, so Henry, the one that designed the gun, when he went to Europe, Oliver was like, Henry, I'm going to sign you as power of attorney, giving him control of the company. And Henry decided that's a good time to stage a coup and try to take it over himself. So, of course, when Oliver gets word of this, he rushes back to America. He pulls all his money out and he starts his own gun company, which is the Winchester Repeating Arms Company. And so here come here it comes. And Sarah's husband, William, became the secretary of the new company. So he left the shirt making business to go into the gun business after that. I just thought that was pretty bold. Henry's like, eh, he's out of the country. Let's just, this is the time. Let's go. <laughs> didn't work out well. And by the way, his uh, Henry's company did not didn't survive that. Uh-uh. No. Good. I'm glad. Yeah, yeah, I know. Deserves it. If you're going to pull a coup and you fail, you deserve to keep failing. Exactly. Also, if you, you know, especially when you're betraying a partner like that, like, that's rude. It it really is. Now, the same year that the Winchester Repeating Arms Company is established, Sarah and uh, William actually welcome a baby girl into the family. In June of 1866, Sarah gave birth to Annie Party Winchester, who was named after William's late sister, Annie. But tragically, the baby couldn't process calories. And so she died from malnourishment just six weeks after she was born. It is so such a sad story. Um, and the Winchesters would go on to have no more children. So that, that was their only little one. Now, it, it's interesting. And we talked about this in the book. Or, or I'm sorry, before we started the podcast about the book. With Sarah's story, you're constantly jumping from her personal life really to this gun that would influence her life. And so I feel like my notes jump and We were talking about how it's kind of jumbled. But look at her house. Her house is kind of jumbled, too. So <laughs> we are going from a family tragedy back to the gun business. Now, following the end of the Civil War, military is no longer in the market for long arms. Not like they bought it. To they were in the market but, beforehand. What are you I was about, about to say, but, you know, they're really not now. But in 1869, the new Transcontinental Railroad opened a new frontier and market for Winchester rifles. So soon, Oliver Winchester opened up an office in San Francisco. That place will come back to manage cells in the West. Um, this is kind of interesting that, so he's opening up this office out West and later he's going to actually send William and Sarah to California to inspect the offices. And it was here that Sarah sat for like the only portrait we have of her in a dark silk gown with this high lacy collar. And it just makes me think like, would she have, she probably would have never imagined that she would be back there and how she would be back there. So it's just interesting. They paid this office a visit. At one point. Now, Winchester firearms played a driving force in conquering Western frontiers. The U.S. government was issuing these firearms free of charge to settlers that were headed to Oregon and California. They were used for self-defense, survival, sustenance. And the repeating rifle really became the tool of the frontier. Um, I like this little fact. Texas cowboys used the gun during cattle drives to keep their herds away from Longhorn and they called this the Winchester Quarantine. 
That's what it was named. How they turned in the cast. I just being in Texas, I thought that was a cool fact. I like that. That is funny. And I mean, it literally was the Wild West. So you have infamous outlaws using the Winchester, and those bringing them to justice are using the Winchester rifle. And then you even had Wild West legends like Buffalo Bill Cody and Annie Oakley that are showcasing their shooting skills with the West Winchesters. And it was said to also be a favorite gun of President Teddy Roosevelt. So, I mean, it is so popular. By 1876, the Winchester rifle would emerge as the symbol of manifest destiny. And by 1919, the company would adopt the slogan, the gun that won the West. But we have to mention, for the Native American tribes, without ready access to this new technology, they actually called it the spirit gun, many were left massacred in the wake of westward expansion. So that has to be said. Though there were some victories, like the Battle of Little Bighorn. They, they actually used the Winchester to defeat the army for most. It did not turn out well. When these guns came in their area. I find it interesting that the U.S. government wouldn't buy the guns to be used on Mm -hmm. an agreed upon battlefield. But sure, you can use it to massacre people we don't know. Yeah, I know. I thought about that, too. I thought about that, too. That entered my head. Due to the extraordinary success of this Winchester rifle, Oliver Winchester was moving into higher social circles and just amassing a fortune. And now he's ready to build his bigger and grander home and with him, he was busy running the company, so he really left it to William and Sarah Winchester to oversee the construction of this palatial mansion now overlooking New Haven. And the couple actually really enjoyed doing this together. They were, she was, they were both kept, I mean, not just her, they were both captivated by architecture and design. And Sarah was absorbed in this project and gained life lessons in interior design, construction management, and more. And these skills would prove to be very useful later in her life. (laughs) Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) I couldn't help it. Um, And it also served as a really welcome distraction for the couple, especially after losing their little girl. Like they could kind of turn all their attention to this. And it's said that years later, Sarah would refer to this period with great fondness. And um, they got to enjoy the house together for a little over a decade before tragedy strikes. Again. Again, which is going to lead us into your section. So let's see what happens. So arguably one of the most difficult years of Sarah Winchester's life began in the spring of 1880 when three of the most influential people around her passed away within 10 months. So on May 11th, which is my birthday, sad. I know, which is kind of like, oh, that's my birthday. But on May 11th, Sarah's mother, Sarah Party, passed away. And then a few months later, Sarah's father-in-law, Oliver Winchester, suffered a stroke. And while it looked like he was getting better for a time, he does actually pass away in December 10th of 1880, leaving a very grief-stricken William now having to step up to take his father's place as president of the company. And this new role proved extremely difficult for William. His already weak health due to years of consumption began to deteriorate rapidly due to the new pressures and demands of the position. Um, in February of 1881, he may have feared the worst because he actually signed a draft of his own will. And then shortly after, on March 2nd, the board of directors of the Winchester Repeating Arms Company released William from his role as president. And it's believed that he probably asked them to do that. Um, the family told very few people the true extent of his illness because they kept hoping, like in the past, his health would improve. Yeah. But this time it wouldn't be the case. And at 9.30 p.m. on March 7th, 1881... 
William Wirt Winchester died at home from a tubercular condition at the age of 43. William was buried next to his daughter, Annie, and at the age of 42, Sarah was a widow. Now, overcome with grief, Sarah escaped to the seashore. She even embarked on a European tour. It was during this time that many believe she sought spiritual guidance and attended this infamous seance we still hear about today. And I mean, spiritualism, as we know, Caitlin, we talk about it in our podcast, it was sweeping the country. And is, that very- what we'll, is that what we talk about all the time? <laughs> I think we talk about spiritualism. I don't know. It was vaguely about- familiar. I wondered if that was the case. I feel like that and we complain about the heat of Texas pretty equally. <laughs> You know what? I didn't complain about the pollen today, even though my eyes are killing me. So, like, yeah, no, it's good. it's pollen, the heat of Texas, and, and spiritualism. Uh, that spiritualism thing that uh, was popular, you know, in the 1880s, for sure. True. And so, exactly. And it was common practice. So, it's, it's very well likely she did attend a seance, and that wouldn't have been strange for the time period if she did. I mean, most women did, especially of her social status. Uh, But the story of Sarah visiting a medium first appears in the book Prominent American Ghost, which was published in 1967 by Susie Smith. And in this book, she names a Boston medium Sarah Winchester supposedly consulted named Adam Coons. Now, interestingly, they've looked through city directories of the time, and there are the lists of medium and spiritualists in Boston, but Coons' name never appears. And I even read in the book, that scholar Emily May searched for several years in the issues of the spiritualist periodical, The Banner of Light, which is one of the most popular and important <laughs> periodicals yeah. of that time. <laughs> and there's never a mention of his name. So we don't know. And I know we're going to get into that more, but that's it, but it yeah. is said she visited this medium. And so after all of this and after she returned from Europe, Sarah basically had two choices. She could stay in New Haven and live at her time at the Winchester Mansion with her mother-in-law. Or she could leave the city of her birth, step out on her own, and build a new life for herself. So Sarah was ready for a change. She began to put her business affairs in order with the help of financial advisors and lawyers. Because at this point, she's a very wealthy woman. Mm -hmm. She has inherited a vast fortune reportedly 20 million and nearly a 50% stake in Winchester repeating arms stock. And I do want to point out it is like while Sarah had a vote, a boardroom vote because she did have so much stock in the company, she didn't have a role in the management. So I'm going to put that out there. But with all these plans in place, Sarah chose to make a change and headed westward to start her new life. Yay! To pick up the story, it is now 1884, and Sarah Winchester is moving to California, where she purchases a small farmhouse near what would become San Jose. She hired carpenters to work around the clock, expanding the small house into a seven-story mansion, and due to the lack of a plan and lack of presence of an architect, the house is what's considered (laughs) constructed haphazardly. It's kind of like Rooms added to exterior walls, resulting in windows overlooking other rooms instead of the outside. Multiple staircases were added, all different sized risers, giving the staircases a distorted look. Uh, She would have gold and silver chandeliers hung from the ceiling above hand-inlaid parquet flooring, dozens of artful stained glass windows created by Tiffany and Company. Um, according, some of them were apparently designed by T- Lewis wow. Comfort Tiffany himself. Amazing. Uh, one window in particular was intended to create a prismatic rainbow. 
Like when the light would shine oh. through, it'd make a rainbow on the floor. But then that window ended up on an interior wall and the w- effect pro- never worked. Could we not have fixed that? Like, I feel like that could have been fixed. <laughs> like we could have adjusted. Uninstalled and reinstalled someplace else, maybe? Yeah, we have enough carpenters. Come on now. Round the clock workers now. Like this is, we, we, we know the story. The, co- the, the construction never stopped. You can afford to move the window to an outside wall. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I but agree. apparently not. And so the effect of the rainbow, like after they built around the outside of that window, it, it stopped being a thing. And then even more talked about than just the luxuriousness of the entire situation and like what the what you put in with the opulence, because I mean, it is technically the Victorian period. So like all the little details yes. are always very pretty <laughs> when you can afford it. But she also had the luxuries that we consider today. So things like indoor plumbing and electric work. She actually did have indoor plumbing in the house, which included Ooh. the coveted hot running water and push button gas lighting available throughout the home. And then also forced air heating flow throughout the house. So during th- throughout the years long construction of the house, Sarah would never confirm <laughs> that she was building a haunted home. However, obviously stories and rumors sw- swirled through San Jose. It was said that the contractors who worked on the house reported Winchester having daily seances with local mediums in an Mm. effort to reach good spirits. These good spirits were reportedly consulted to find out how to best appease the spirits whom she was allegedly building the house for. And the ones that she was building the house for were the victims Mm. of the Winchester repeating rifle that we just learned about from Jessica had quite an impact on the development of the American West. And had quite a few victims. And so in order to hide from the spirits, she was consulting good spirits to make her house, I guess, kind of like a spirit trap in some ways. Or like avoid him. Because wasn't it the medium told her, like, all this bad luck had had come to her because of the Winchester Exactly. And like, so, and some of the stories involve her being able to get away from the spirits or confuse the spirits, but other times... Like the room that has what one entrance and four exits, but none of the exits are like safe yeah. to go out of or to uh, make it so the spirits would be trapped or it's confused. It's very confusing. <laughs> um, and I mean, it is very confusing. And if you go on the tour, it does not get less confusing. Yeah, trying to explain it, it's like, yeah, it just it doesn't make sense. No. And like in lacking no specific plan other than the plan that she received from the spirits, the beautiful but bizarre 161 room mansion includes stairs and doors that lead to nowhere, more bedrooms, kitchens and fireplaces than anyone could use in any lifetime, hidden trap doors, spy holes, secret passageways and upside down columns. Not to mention windows overlooking other rooms, cabinets and doors that open onto walls, small rooms built within big rooms, balconies and windows on the inside rather than the outside, and chimneys that stop before That's the ceiling. A lot. It's a lot. So <laughs> <laughs> It is. And additionally, we also know that Sarah was intrigued yes. and fascinated by the number 13. Uh, nearly all the windows contained 13 panes of glass, apparently. Uh, the walls all had 13 panels. The greenhouse had 13 cupolas. Uh, many of the wooden floors mm. contained 13 sections. Some of the rooms had 13 windows. The mansion has 13 bathrooms, which, by the way, that sounds amazing. 13 bathrooms. Yeah. No matter how many people are visiting, <laughs> I love there it. are bathrooms for everyone. Yes. That in itself is a luxury. Yes. <laughs> But honestly, the one that sticks in my brain full time is when we went, because I did go to see the Winchester Mystery House when I still lived in California. I think I was 
I don't know. <laughs> Everything happened when I was 11 in my memory. So I could have been 17. I don't know. But I remember distinctly there's a drain in the kitchen that has 13 holes in the drain. And that was the moment in my life where I'm like, you know, 13 sounds like a nice I number. I think it. I like 13 I love too. It. But I can still see the drain in my mind's eye because that like just flashed in That's, my brain and just stays there. So lives cool. rent free in my brain. <laughs> so the 13 <laughs> definitely stuck to my story. So speaking of those 13 luxurious bathrooms, only one apparently was functional in an effort Wait, to confuse Wait, what? She ghosts. had 13 bathrooms, but... Teen bathrooms and only one of them worked, I guess. But ghosts can't use bathrooms. Right? Like, why would that confuse spirits? I don't understand that one. Oh, that seems like a waste. I was like, that seems like such a waste. Like, that one's illogical on several levels. Like, come on now. Okay. Interesting. Right? Uh, she would also sleep in a different room every night and use the secret passages she built in to get around in a way that no spirits could follow her. On the surface, like, you know, the Winchester house is a mm -hmm. queen and Victorian with a mixture of shingles and siding and bric-a-bac and cornices and accessories that show traces of, you know, the Eastern influence because, <laughs> you know, she was from the East Coast. And unfortunately, today it is only four stories, even though it did get to be uh, seven stories at one point in time. And it's estimated that over 20,500 U.S. gallons of paint were required to paint the house. But she also had things like... Uh, skylights, wow. two basements installed, and three elevators. You know what's funny? I was just sitting here thinking. I'm like, you know, you used to work in a historic home when I'm like thinking of the maintenance because we just had ours repainted. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, that's the first thing my <laughs> mind went to was like, how do they keep up with the maintenance on that place? <laughs> like, See, mine, my, mine goes to the same thing with the elevator specifically because in none of the houses that we worked hmm. in, those elevators never work. And they're yeah. always like a safety hazard. And the old hotels that still have the original elevator exactly. don't use them because it's a safety hazard. So I'm like, in 1894, like, how hard was it to maintain this thing? I'm just, I just love our minds go to that first. It's like, it's a lot of paint to buy. Like, <laughs> it's a lot of paint. That's a lot of work. I mean, to be fair, we've yeah, covered the fact that she true. has quite a lot of money. Mm -mm. So it's not as concerning. And actually, after she passed, the appraisers seemed oh. to deem that the house was worthless oh due to its strange design mm. and damage from the earthquakes. Because it was the 1906 San Francisco earthquake that took the house from a seven-story building down to a four-story building. It did so much damage. I remember them telling us about the seven-story tower when I was mm -hmm. a kid. And I'm like, I want to see it. They're like, yeah, it hasn't been around since 1906. And I was upset like they <laughs> tore it down yesterday just to spite me. I love little Caitlin Wood. <laughs> to the, I'm still, you can still hear to my voice. I'm still upset like they tore it down yesterday just to spite me. Like, this happened in 1906, Kate. Like, you know how devastating that earthquake was. Why are you personally offended by this? I love little Caitlin being there like mad and grumpy. <laughs> like, I could see it. Yup. Yes. All but stomping my feet. Yup. So that's what, so the tower was like, because I've seen pictures. Is it just the tower that was four feet or was it like, because I'm like four stories, it's still. It was four stories in general. And then the tower was what got it to seven stories. After she passed, they, they auctioned off everything. Mm -hmm. Like they, they parceled out the land and the land that didn't have the house sold really quickly. But the part with the house, like it didn't have a whole lot of interest and the eventual owners, like they emptied everything out of the house even though uh there's no real corroboration for that but house was completely emptied and a local local investor purchased the home for a cool one hundred and thirty five thousand dollars just 
five oh months after Sarah Winchester died, and the Winchester Mystery House was open to the public for tours. That is crazy they opened it that quick. Right? I mean, it makes sense. That turnaround was instant. And the owner, like the guy who bought it initially had planned, because he was the guy who was developing amusement parks. Like he had uh-huh. invented a specific kind of roller coaster, the one that kind yeah. of goes up and then stops and then comes backwards. And he was planning on doing like a whole amusement park at the location. But then like something changed at some point and he's like, nah, standalone tourist attraction. It's just going to be the mystery house. Wow. I'm blown away. It was that quick of a turnaround. Like he had that planned. You know, he had been sitting there for years planning that. Thinking about it, plotting or like in general, he was thinking and plotting and saving for a house somewhere that he was going to save up and buy. And then when Sarah passed, he said, dibs. Oh, yeah. I feel like he had already had that in, in the works. Just, I mean, that sounds sad, but just kind of waiting. <laughs> like, he had to. Wow. Exactly. Unfortunately for all of our listeners who absolutely love the story of the Winchester Mystery House, it makes a really good story, but the reality is very, very different from the story we've all been told if you go on the tours. The reality is that the rumors about the spiritualism in the seances may have actually been started by disgruntled neighbors because Sarah kept to herself as she got older and was considered eccentric. And there's even an 1897 newspaper article that alludes to her neighbors being resentful about her reclusive nature. Like the neighbors would say they they made visits to her house to welcome her when she first moved in, but she never reciprocated these visits or recognized her neighbors in public. Which, it goes against social expectations of the time, but we also know that she was friends with people when she first moved to California. Like, she was friends with the Stanford family that founded Stanford University. Right. Yeah, she ran in big circles. Yeah, so, like, I mean, they were resentful, but by 1897, I can see people being resentful because she's getting older. She does have rheumatoid arthritis. Like, that's actually what sent her to California. Like, as much as we love the story of the medium visitation, it was actually her doctor who said that she would benefit from a change to a warmer climate where her arthritis would be better. And she needed a hobby that would take her mind off of the tragedies in her life. And like you said, she remembered that time building the Winchester house in New Haven fondly with her husband. And so she refocused her attention on building and... I mean, if you consider the house as a really big ADHD grief project, it makes well, perfect it sense. I mean, the book talks about th- when they built that first mansion, the construction was like a remedy for her grief and depression in a sense. And so it's like, that makes so much sense. And I'm sure the sound yeah. of woodworking and carpentry, I can imagine that was like so comforting that it would make sense to have it ongoing. Exactly. And it's not like it never stopped. Like after the 1906 earthquake, like it didn't stop when she died. Mm -hmm. It stopped after the earthquake. Like she didn't, she moved off site. She uh, she had another house in a nearby town and she lived off site and the property mostly shifted to fruits and um, not winery. Mm -hmm. It was largely a fruit orchard that they functioned as. And so like it didn't continue unabated for 38 years. It went pretty consistently but she would also like send them home so that she could have some mental health breaks and stop the work like at one point she was supposed to put in a skylight because there was a stair that people kept tripping over and instead of doing it right away they had to wait for the rain to stop but then it got too hot because i mean i mean if you've been through central california summers even the bay area gets a little brutal but like she's talking about how she sent them away because she needed a break 
So, like, there are several months every year that they were not actually working. And so the hammering did not go incessantly. And the other one is, like, the home conveniences. A lot of the articles I looked at were talking about how they were super rare mm-hmm. at the time of the house's construction. And the Annunciator especially makes a big appearance because that was basically, like, um, a precursor mm-hmm. to the intercom system. Because, I mean, <laughs> let's think about how big and windy this house is. Being able to push a button or ring a bell and have people know where you are is super handy. And, like, it's interesting and definitely novel for California, but, like, enunciators in several forms have been right. around since the 1700s. Right. Like, that's that's not even novel. That's established for a big house. Um, but, no, one thing I found interesting through the book was it, it actually changed my perspective. Like, when they talked about the stairway to nowhere, the doors to nowhere... But it made so much sense reading the book because they talked about the 1906 earthquake and how those rooms were like shut off. They just she just shut off construction in those areas or that doorway did once lead to something, but it was destroyed. And I was like, I never thought about that. Neither did I. That one that one was like the most like not yes. quite heartbreaking, but like mind shattering moment in the book because I was like, oh, my God, that makes perfect sense because right. like the stairs that lead up to the ceiling. Well, there was probably a door there right. and it collapsed and she boarded it up. And the one that kills me is Brie and I's favorite thing to talk about with this mm-hmm. house were the 7-Eleven stairs. There's like a set of staircases where you can't get to the right floor mm-hmm. just by going up a round of stairs. You have to go up two uh-huh. to go down one to get to the middle. You have to go down to go down to go up or go up to go up to go down. Like the way yeah. the tour guide told it was fantastic and that also lives in our brain. But like that's probably because parts of the staircase collapsed and they had to like make adjustments around it it's not because she was being clever and creative and and then also the staircase that has the little tiny stairs that like you know you only like put your foot up one or two inches she she had arthritis again we talk about that like it's there's so many logical reasons behind all of the things that are novel about the house it's it's not, I'm not going to say it's depressing, but it is very much like it's the opposite of the story. Yeah, it's this, not... this episode was interesting because I didn't know anything except for the legend. So I came into this like, we're going to be talking all about these ghosts Same. and this weird house. And, and, but I think that's kind of, but as our responsibility as historians, it's like, we got to tell the true story. We've got to, even if we don't want to tell it. Now, I am curious. And um, what about her infamous seance room? Because they always talk about the infamous seance room where she would make these drawings. So was that not her seance room? That was not a seance room. Um, there are there are interviews later about, I can't remember mm-hmm. which family member. I think it was Daisy that lived there. But somebody was like, that was really? my bedroom for a while. Like it was, it was a room that was actively used as a functional living space. And there was, I can't remember if it was in a podcast I was listening to or if it was part of the audiobook. But somebody pointed out, and we know this really well, because again, mm-hmm. turns out we talk about spiritualism on this podcast. It's a social mm-hmm. belief structure. And she mm-hmm. was not a social mm-hmm. person. I'm like, oh, snap, that is that is a discrepancy that doesn't make sense. Like, she didn't have mediums right. that came over to hold seances. There are no reports of them. There are actually family members saying that, no, she never had them visiting. So, like, yeah, the seance room, as a comfort to myself, I remember them talking mm-hmm. about the seance room on the tour, and I was disappointed that I wasn't picking up on anything. 
Uh, well, okay, so that's a good question. So you didn't pick up anything there. Did you pick up anything in the house when you were little? I picked up more in the gift shop in the entrance than I did anywhere else. Really? And I don't know if it's because they had all the memorabilia from like the Winchester oh. rifle down there. I mean, it could. And, and I wouldn't go so far as to say this house doesn't have spirits. I, I'm sure this house. That's got to have spirits. Every old house has picked up strays if only because they were wandering through the area and liked it there. Exactly. And the energy there. Like, I'm sure there are spirits in this house. So I, I do believe when people report it is haunted, I'm sure it is, but it is a little disappointing, like, because I've always thought about her little seance room and she'd go at midnight and all that. And Yeah. Nope. Yeah. She also didn't ring the bell at midnight and at 2 a.m. Yeah. to, like, you know, welcome the spirits and then dismiss the spirits. The bell was only ever rung for emergencies yeah. or to call workers to work or release them. Mm-hmm. Like, it was all very logical and very solid and all of the stories... Okay, not all this, all the stories didn't happen after it was opened as a haunted house, but because right. the the rumors started beforehand, like this was the age of yellow right. journalism where people were not fact checking. It was just you know <laughs> this is a good story that sounds fabulous. Let's sell yeah. papers, and so it it started before she passed. But once he mm-hmm. bought the house as a haunted tourist destination, yeah. the stories went nuts and. Even if you only believe in what you can see factually in front of you, knowing how yes. she is about the detail, like she would build something right. and if she didn't right. like it, she'd tear it right. down and do it again or board it over and try it someplace else. Mm. So with the funding she had and her, her her fixation on getting things perfect, would you anticipate a chandelier that had mm. a random 13th mm-hmm. arm just glued mm. onto it? Mm-hmm. Like, no, you should have that custom made in Venice. Yeah. Like, that was the one that got me. And I remember hearing that yeah. years ago on, I think, the History Chicks episode of this. And yeah. that was the one that, like, oh, that was the dagger through the heart. Because that makes too much I know. sense it's to like, not be real. I want, we would talk, we talked about this episode before, Darren. It's like, we want all those stories to be true. And, but it's like, at least history, yeah. recorded history, it's, it tells a different story. <laughs> I guess we'll never know. We weren't there with her, but... Yeah. No, between the logic about the 13 things being added afterwards and the earthquake explaining the anomalies with the staircases and and everything else, it's... (laughs) We we hate to break all of your hearts, but the the stories were not real. They were made up during her life and very much exaggerated after life. It is... It is referred to as the House of 10,000 Ghosts, but there is very little evidence that it was haunted, at least during her lifetime. I do have some stories of people talking about it being haunted now. Please, please, please. Yes, because I know it's like we need some ghosts. We need something. Yes. Okay. So we'll end on a high note of like some people have seen things. Okay. So over the years, staff and visitors have reported strange Mm -hmm. things. Obviously, we have the usual footsteps when no one is present, banging doors, mysterious voices, and the sound of someone or something running across the rooftops. Ooh, that's kind of creepy. I don't like that. Like, the fact that somebody referred to this as the usual encounters, I'm like, how often do you hear about footsteps running across the roof? That's new for me. That's a new one. Like, at least phrasing it that way, because I know that there are stories about like, wow, the neighbors above us are super loud. Wait, we live on the top floor. Yeah. But like ro- footsteps running across the rooftops. I'm like, are we in a 1980s <laughs> like 
action movie where they're running across the rooftops right, to right. get to the like what are we talking about here but we also have people who've witnessed doorknobs that turn by themselves mm. strange bobbing lights that go throughout the building windows that randomly bang so hard they shatter <gasps> whoa however this is earthquake country so i'm taking that one with a grain of salt <laughs> fair and cold spots that are often felt by visitors in various areas of the large mountain. Wow. However, with a house with awkward construction like that, I imagine random drafts are going to happen. Yeah. Like, I don't often brush off cold spots because I do actually trust them right. pretty well. Yes. But, like, she had forced indoor heating before an earthquake happened to screw up the integrity <laughs> of the internal parts of the house. I feel like random cold drafts are just going to happen in some places. That makes sense. Yes. And then apparently over the years, dozens of psychics have visited the house and most have come away convinced that spirits, including that of Sarah mm -hmm. Winchester herself, still wander the place. Uh, one ghost that is said to linger is that of a handyman that continues to repair a fireplace in the grand ballroom. Oh, there is a black haired man that has been seen pushing a wheelbarrow. Oh, others have reported feeling the presence of someone or something in the ballroom. Which, honestly, that kind of makes sense because she did play the organ and that's where they kept her organ. So, like, if mm -hmm. she was pr playing music in there, like, you would imagine that's going to create a vibe. Yes, absolutely. The elegant gold and silver chandelier in the grand ballroom swings by itself on its occasion. A again, earthquake country. If you're only a one on the Richter scale, you're not going to pick up on it and it's going to move things. Right, right. Like, for those of you who don't know what it's like to live in earthquake land, it's... It, this stuff happens on its own, like, all the time. Mm -hmm. Like, doors swinging open and closed, I even have to, like, take with a grain of salt. And it, it drives me nuts, actually, here in Texas, because it'll happen, and I'll be like, wait a minute, that's not normal here. <laughs> it was normal growing up. To be fair, my house right. was also haunted growing up. So, like, all, all the grains of salt that betray each other constantly <laughs> in my brain. <laughs> but the chandelier swinging, I'm, I'm going to give that one to Earthquakes, too. Yeah. And then located in the front part of the house, there's some there's a room called the Daisy Bedroom. Um, mm -hmm. And it's apparently not called that because of her niece, Daisy, who stayed with her for a time. It's called that because there's a floral motif on the stained glass windows. Oh. But it is also said to be haunted. According to the lore, it was here that she was trapped during the Great San Francisco Earthquake. Oh, my goodness. But I have found nothing that corroborates that. So I have no mm. idea. Yeah. But yeah. apparently visitors hear heavy sighs coming from this room, as well as reported seeing a dark figure, reporting camera malfunctions, mm. which has my attention. Yes. And the photos that they take often feature a strange rippling mass. Oh, interesting. Like there's a ripple in the picture. Yeah. I'm like, oh, that's fascinating. I want to see those pictures. Exactly. Apparently there's, a, there's, and I don't remember coming across this on the tour, but there's an area of the house called the Hall of Fires uh -huh. because of all the fireplaces in the area. It's nothing ominous. Oh, gotcha. But uh, at, w at one point there was a guy who was working on a restoration project and he was on the ladder when he felt a tap on his shoulder. And like, you know, you turn around and there's yes. no one there because you're on a ladder. <gasps> Creepy. And when he turned back to his task, he felt a hand pressing hard against his back. So when he turned around again and found no one, he quickly left the room to find another project to work on. Yeah, I don't blame him. <laughs> and there's uh, apparently a spirit in the basement known as Clyde, and he appears mm. near the old coal chute. Okay. Outside on the grounds, one staff member reports seeing a small woman dressed in black who was thought to be none other than Sarah Winchester herself. Um, mm -hmm. There is a picture of her sitting in her carriage in front of the house and she is dressed all in black. So mm -hmm. I will make sure to share that one with yes. everyone on the socials because 
like you can definitely see why they think that that was Sarah as a mm-hmm. small woman. I mean, she was four, what, nine, you said? Four, nine. Yeah. yeah. Four, nine in black. Like, yeah, no, that's probably her. Mm-hmm. And then the front yard also uh, lets people see there's a second story window you can see from the front yard where there's apparently a translucent, bushy haired female spirit that's been spotted. Huh. I want to know what they mean by bushy hair because well, there that- are some... <laughs> There are some Victorian hairstyles that aren't bushy. They're poofy. Well, that's what threw me off. That's why I made that face. I'm like, what would that look like? Like bushy like her hair was frizzy or bushy like she has the Gibson girl bun. Yeah. We need more clarification. We need we need more than just bushy. Like this is kind of like you have your grandfather from the Revolutionary War. Okay, we need you to learn your clothing styles. Mm-hmm. I need you to learn hairstyles, please, as well, so that when you're <laughs> describing it to me, it makes logical sense. Yes, I agree. And then, last but not least, tour guides allegedly try their best to avoid the third floor corridors at night because the sounds of footsteps and voices are often heard. Oh, I would avoid that entire house at night. Like, you, yo, no. right? I was thinking, like, you know, in our historic homes, like, the creepiest part was at night when you had to go turn off all the lights. I'm like, how do they do that in this house? Like, I hope they have a master switch that yes. they can just. Oh, like, dear Lord. I hope that's true. Because that made all the difference with the houses that we were closing. Like your house, you had to go through and turn off all the lights. Yes. My houses, you had the, the like the house I actually ran. The lights were uh-huh. outside. That was beautiful. And then. I am so jealous. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, you didn't know that's where the, the lights were. No. on the, that, that door that was on under the back porch stairs. Uh-huh. You open that up and all the switches were there. That's way too easy. You have to go through that house in the dark. And I know. I've done that with you. I know. <laughs> on Halloween after doors. Yes. Yes. And then yes. the other house on site, uh, they have one uh, switch in the middle of the house. Like, oh, you still have to leave the house, but it's, it's yeah. one switch. You don't have to go upstairs and downstairs. Yeah, I that I've always thought about that in this house. Like, how do they shut that house down? Daily? I really hope they've got like a main switch that they just like turn off from the gift shop. It, it would make the most sense for all those rooms. <laughs> like, yeah. oh my gosh, are you better take a buddy? That's a buddy system. Oh like, you yeah, take someone with I you. I mean, honestly, true crime style. Like that house is so big and spacious. That final security check has to be done with pe- like pairs of people. Oh, I would think so. And, like, even if she didn't do seances in the house and the spirits didn't design the rooms, I have no doubt that house has spirit. I mean, just oh, yeah. it, even so much of her energy was put into that exactly. house and the workers. It's like that had to leave something behind. Like, so Knowing that she woke up every day and walked the grounds and worked with contractors yeah. and, like, that alone would... Absolutely, I believe that she's walking around the grounds and still active and doing things. I think so, too. Yeah. No, for and it sure. Would make, it would make sense to see some of the workers there because they probably took, I mean, they put so much of their life into that home over the years. Like, why wouldn't they be there even Oh, after, yeah. Like, so. she, paid, she paid better than a lot of the people in the area and she wasn't a raging racist. So, like, there were a lot of people who liked working for her and found uh, a lot of fulfillment in their job. Exactly. So I don't think we've completely disappointed our listeners. Yes, we dispelled some of the myths, but we still think yeah. it's haunted. And there are still yeah. ghost stories. For sure. Just modern day ghost stories. Exactly. <laughs> and I know, okay, so I know it's running long, but we had talked about this. 
I did go back and watch part of the movie. Yes. I okay. did not have time because of the, the house drama in my own personal life. So, um, yes. Tell me about the movie that you had a condescending opinion about. And then I will tell you about the comic book that Joey just finished reading that um, my opinions were not wrong. No. Okay. So just to set the stage, like this was years well, not that many years ago, but a couple of years ago when the movie first came out, which I should, when I was doing my research, I should have gotten the date, but I didn't. It was pre-COVID, like 2017. I wish it was like 2019 or something. Let me look. It may have been 2019, uh, but I just, isn't that funny? It's all like pre-COVID, <laughs> like before. Those are, those are the, those are the, yeah. Yeah. But somewhere right in there. And I was so excited about this movie coming out. I based my entire birthday party around it. Oh, 2018. It, we were both right. Like it was right between. You said 17. I said 19. Yeah. It was 2018. Okay. So I based my entire birthday around this. I even made little cocktails with little ice spears for crystal balls for her seances that apparently never happened. But I based the cocktails around it. Everybody had to come dressed in black and we were going to watch this movie. And I was like, and I even set the dining room like a seance. Like I had candles and all that. Oh my God. (laughs) Galen, this movie is such a disappointment. (laughs) No. It's Helen Mirren too. That's the worst part. I know. I didn't preview this thing before my party. Partly because it's Helen Mirren. Like, and I still stand by she's amazing. I haven't taken, that hasn't been lost, but. Yeah. So we sit down to watch it. Um, It was one of the worst movies I've ever seen. Sorry if anybody's a fan. I think I take it so hard, badly though, because I'm such, like, I love the real history and her real history it's just her life in general is just fascinating. And I think literally the only thing they got was she lived in the house. Like, I think that's like where wow. like, it was. Oh, my gosh. So I went back. I did not rewatch the whole movie. I don't want to do that again. But I watched <laughs> the highlights. Um, so basically how they set up this movie, she is living in the house and they bring in this doctor to evaluate her mental state because the Winchester Rifle Company doesn't think she's capable of running the company again. She didn't run the company to begin with. Okay, thank you. And so they're trying to oust her because she... they've heard about all her seances mm-hmm. and stuff. And that was my first thing. I'm like, wait, she didn't run the company. She had stock in it. She had a vote in it, but she's not yeah. running it. But in the movie, she's running it. Um, there's lots of ghosts. <laughs> ghosts all over the place. In Naturally. Um, and she has an extensive database of people killed by the Winchester rifle. So she's like going, yeah, okay. So so she keeps this database, and when she decides the rooms, the spirits tell her what to do, but what, what it is, a spirit will have her give her the plans for the room, and it's going to resemble where they died. So each room is going to resemble where the spirit died. And so once she builds the room, she goes and counsels these spirits, basically, <laughs> helps them with their unfinished business, moves them on along and then tears down the room and builds a new one for the next spirit. So she's basically like, so like if they died in a store, she's going to like, I'm just making stuff, but she'd rebuild the room in the store. They died. If they died in a green room, well, she's going to build a, so this is the whole premise of the movie of what she's doing. And for the spirits that don't want to move on, she is going to lock them in that room with a board and 13 nails. And that's going to keep them trapped in the Winchester house. And so, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So this is the whole, so this doctor comes to the house to evaluate her. He starts seeing ghosts and it's like, holy crap, what's going on here? 
Um, and then they have this final epic battle between one of the unruly ghosts who won't cooperate. <laughs> okay, get this. Get ready for this. And he's mad because his two brothers were killed in the Civil War by the Union troops who were using Winchester rifles. What did we just learn? I mean, yeah, there's a handful. So technically, they could have been killed by one of the random rare Union soldiers. But yeah, the Union Army wasn't interested in those rifles. Weren't interested. But anyway, he's all mad because his brothers got killed. And so he comes back. Epic battle. They end up getting rid of the ghost. But then there are more to come. They kind of leave on that note of like, but they're still in the house. And there's more coming. Dun, dun, dun. That's the end of the movie. That was based on her life. I yeah. don't often regret that we don't video these <laughs> podcast recordings, but I, I, I don't have words and I wish my face could have spoken for me while you were talking because are you, I don't, I can't, mm, well, no, one of these, all I, the no. No, and I thought about it. If it wasn't based on the Winchester house, if this was just like a haunted house story, like something like... I'd probably have enjoyed it a lot more. Like, oh, this is really creepy. Like, it's it's really spooky. But the fact you based it on the Winchester house. Yeah. It's like, but no. And even if you did, even if you did follow all her ghost stories and like she's having seances, it's still nowhere close to like the actual legend of it. No. And I'm just like, why would y'all do that? Oh, and her niece is living there. With this, and forgive well, me. Well, that part's true. Daisy did live with her for right. a while. <laughs> well, and was her real name, because Daisy was her nickname, right? Was her real name Marianne or something like that? I don't remember. I know her mom's well, name was Isabel. Okay, yeah. Forgive me, because I didn't go back and rewatch this thing. But uh, I think it's like her niece is living there, which I knew her niece did live there. But yeah. I don't remember her niece having a son there. But there is like this creepy no, kid when there. No, when she got married, she she left. She moved out, right. Yeah. Yeah, there's this really creepy kid there named Henry, and he keeps getting possessed by the evil ghost. And I'm like, okay, that's he's just a really creepy kid. Like, <laughs> ew. Uh, no, oh, that sounds bad. Like, I think kids are creepy. I don't, but this kid is like super creepy in the movie. So it's like, yeah, they're like, we need to save Henry. I'm like, he's kind of weird. He's creepy. He scared him. That's probably because he was possessed the whole movie, but... Yeah, it no, you're not going to be a very comfortable child to be around if you're possessed the whole movie. No, it was just, I'm yeah. like, her story is so cool. You could do such a cool movie. You have friggin' Helen Mirren, and that's what you do. That, and I'm like, and I, th- I'm like, what does the Winchester house think of this? I've always wondered, like, so what do they right. think? But it's kind of like, do you remember that? Okay, now I'm going off in the weeds, but it's kind of the same thing. Do you remember that show on the History Channel? I think it was the History Channel or one of those. There was History, Texas Rising. It was all about, like, the history of Texas. I remember hearing about it because the reenactors wouldn't shut up about it. Oh, because it was terrible. Like, literally, yeah. it was kind of the same thing. The state is, it's called Texas, and that's where all the facts go out the window. And I'm like, <laughs> you have, oh, they even got the date of the Alamo wrong. Like, it fell on March 7th. Did you know that? It fell on March 7th. Not March 6th. No. I mean, I'm like, how do you even get the date wrong? But it, it was so... But that's what it made me think of. It's like, you have this history. You still have this house. How do you get it so... They even filmed in the house, apparently. Like, how did yes! you get this past people? Like, I don't... I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it sounds 
awful. And I'm with you. If it had been set literally anywhere else, I'd be like, ooh, this is like a, yes. a hot new take on Casper and like how her yes. dad was an afterlife therapist. Like, right. that'd be fascinating. As it is, that is 18 flavors of wrong, even based on the wrong mythology. It, it, yeah, they should have just made this its own independent creepy Victorian haunted house movie. Like, like yeah, don't, the don't Winchester bring... house. Sure. That's fine. But like, don't call it, don't call it Winchester. No. And, oh, so yeah, there, I, I'm, I apologize if anyone out there loves this movie, but I that's just remember, right. I get to apologize for anyone who likes the comic book. Oh yeah. Tell us about the comic. How off is the comic? So, um, Joey and I both agree. The, the art is very nice. Like, okay. It's very well done comic art. Uh huh. It's fine. Um, I didn't like the way it was written grammatically uh-huh. because I'm, I mean, to be fair, cards on the table, I'm not a big graphic novel person. Right. Okay. So I wanted to give it the benefit of that doubt. Mm-hmm. Like it might just be written very much like a comic book is. And Joey said, yeah, it's, it's not written well, but the grammar is fine. Mm-hmm. Um, the storyline, according to him, makes no sense if you don't know what's going on already. So mm-hmm. this is literally a book written for fans of the Winchester Mystery House story because mm. otherwise you have no idea what's going on. <laughs> but the story is very much leaning into there's mystery, there's mystery. Only the old woman knows what's going on. Mm-hmm. Even the reader doesn't know what's going on because it's confusing oh and badly oh written. And it's, it's, oh my God, it is, it is so much based on the mythology. The house yeah. at some point devours an intruder and that's why we have the stairs the stairs that lead to a wall no oh my there's somebody that breaks in trying to kill her niece because they won't let the railroad the railroad go through their land which is true like that actually was a battle they were fighting Uh but like they had someone coming in trying to kill her niece so that like you know she feels the pain of something and has to like leave and the house protects her like casita does in friggin um Oh, what's the name of the Disney movie? I'm blanking out. Mirabelle is the lead character. Oh, um, oh. Encanto. There we go. Enc- um, I, all I yeah. could think about was Bruno. <laughs> like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah, like, like we're in Encanto all of a sudden. And, like, the house literally, like, opens up a door, devours the guy, closes off, and that's the stairs that lead to a ceiling or lead to the wall. Like, Wow. It, I mean, again, hot take. Yeah. Solid move. But like, right. given how badly done the rest of it was, that one was too much for me. I'm just like, no. Yeah. Like, make that make that a feature in a better version of the book, sure. But like, right. It, right. I know. And they're so proud of it. I read the foreword. I'm like, oh, oh, honey, no. I know. Oh, honey, no. <laughs> so basically, we're like, these are super cool stories. We dig it. Just don't base it on like a real house. Or don't don't make it sound like this is like the story of like the real yes. story of the house. Make it its own separate creepy haunted exactly. house. Exactly. Like be inspired Same. by the house. Just don't say inspired yeah. by true events because it's not yeah. and you're wrong. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That was the other thing in the movie. Like the house got destroyed in this epic battle between the ghost and Sarah. But then they were like, but in ni- was it 1906? There was an earthquake. And so it's, it's like, wait. So are you saying this is why the house got destroyed, but it was blamed on the earthquake? Are you saying, are you saying that the battle with the spirit caused the earthquake? Like, what yeah, even? yeah. I, I was like, huh? Well, there that is factual. There there was a, an earthquake. Yes. Yeah. Well, Maybe I, I hope one day someone does like a good 
another movie. I want like another movie, <laughs> maybe a more factual. A good movie, maybe. Yeah. Get Helen Marin back. I mean, she's fabulous. Put her in something. Let's make a movie that encompasses her entire life and call it yes. Sarah. Yes. Oh. I love how we have all these movies <laughs> planned. <laughs> we please, it's one of our listeners in the movie industry. Like, we have ideas. We'll even help edit the scripts if you need, because man, we will lay into you if they're bad. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I love how I have a family member in the movie industry, but I don't think he can help us with that. Like, <laughs> I don't think he can. He could help us with the um, the design and the set design, but I don't know if he can help us with the other. Yeah, all of my uh, hookups are in the theater world, not in the movie industry. <laughs> so, like, we can do a play. Yeah. Hey. That. Uh, yeah. I love that, Sarah. Yeah. It would be good. It would be really good. Well, I I think this is fascinating, and we have still left our listeners with ghost stories. So we yes. have left with spooky things, but maybe a little more clarity on her story and. Even if it is a little like, oh, <laughs> yeah, it's disappointing, y'all. But we're like, we're sorry that it's disappointing, but we're not sorry that we told you because we yeah. care about the history. Like, yeah, some people may brush us off because we are interested in spiritualism and we believe in mediumship, but we do stand by history and accounting for accurate yeah. history. So, like, you can at least give us that much credit. Yes, and I think one thing to kind of end on was. Like Sarah did have these fortunes and they talk about how they how she spent it on this grand and even kooky house. I mean, it was it's this crazy, beautiful house, but she donated so much to the hospital and especially in honor of her husband on curing tuberculosis and working towards that. Like so much of her money didn't just go into this house. It went into really worthy causes and um Gosh, yeah. especially. I mean, she so, even and supported I, like family members. She, yes. when she was getting older and she was worried about her health, she put into place several trusts to make sure that they were continued to be taken yes. care of, even if she started losing her memories. And yeah, I mean, even if you just look at the money that she put into the house, the amount of effect that she had on the local economy with the way yes. she was employing workers, like, yes, like as much as I don't like urban sprawl and I wish we could leave some more land natural so that it actually does its job, like absorbing water. Um, sorry, Houston spin on that one because Harvey no, ruined I, my brain. I knew where you were going but, with that one. <laughs> but in general, like it, it was really impactful for her to be able to employ workers because people were yeah. going to California and they couldn't necessarily make a living. Yeah. But she was having that kind of effect on people and she would go out of her way for anyone she cared about. So like, yeah, she was a recluse, but she wasn't scroogey about it. No, she was so generous and did so much, and it just gets overshadowed because really of this does. very unique house she built. So um, I love ending with that. Yeah. Oh. Oh. Well, this has been fun, yeah. and I can't wait to see where we go next. In this right? <laughs> I know. And one day we're going to get out to California because I've been now – to the Myrtles, the and the Winchester home is on my bucket list. I want to see that. Not gonna lie, I made a new friend, um, and she lives outside of San Jose, Ooh. and she's like, "So you need to visit so you can go see the Winchester." Because I told her I was researching, mm-hmm. and like over the course of two days, the conversation went to went from, "If you come visit, you should go see it," 
too. So when you come, I have another friend who lives nearby and wants to go see it too. <laughs> I love it. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, very cool. Yeah, well, thank you all so much for joining us on this roller coaster of a journey. Yeah. Like we, we had some highs and we had some lows. But <laughs> if, you, if you enjoyed the episode, you know the drill. Like hop on Spotify or Apple or wherever you're listening to us and leave us a rating and a review because that helps us get to more people. And then while you're there, if you haven't done so already, make sure you hit subscribe because like I said last time, it's free and it costs you nothing. And then you know when we have new episodes. Absolutely. And as always, we want to hear from you. So please let us know what you think about this episode. If there's any other spirited topics you want us to explore in future episodes. And you can always find us on Instagram or Facebook at Calling All Spirits Pod. And you can email us at Calling All Spirits Pod at gmail.com. We have Patreon. We love our Patreon subscribers. We yes. still don't have any new ones to list and think, but we are still grateful for the two that we have. And we yes. have lots of fun talking to them. Yes. Uh, and if you want <laughs> to join us, we fully support that. It is only $5 a month and you get our show after the show and you get to engage directly with us. And we honestly, we have to make sure we get started on that monthly drawing of giving a free reading to somebody. Yes. And I still want to do a movie night. Like yes. do a movie night with our Patreon. So, oh my gosh, maybe we do have to watch the Winchester just to get the commentary. <laughs> that may have to be our first movie night. Just that for the would fun be of a it. delightful one. We could absolutely hate watch it. I'm here for that. Yes, <laughs> there will be wine. Yes, <laughs> it is needed. I want to get your. I want to get Caitlin's thoughts on it. So, if you join Patreon, you, that may be our first movie. It watch might party. be. You will. It will be a two-hour movie that lasts nine hours because I will keep pausing and saying, <laughs> "What even are they?" Why? And are you kidding me? Because I do that enough when I'm watching true crime documentaries and TV shows. So like, I know what's going to happen with the Winchester. Absolutely. But, yes. And then, of course, if you're feeling lucky and you don't want to stick with the usuals like Instagram or Facebook or emailing, um, you can try accessing a disreputable journalist to try out some old school yellow journalism. But the odds of it making to us accurately are going to be kind of dicey. So maybe maybe like revisit the email idea. I love it. I love it. And until next time. Bye, everyone. Bye.